Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Near midnight, the island of Puerto Rico got the news many have been waiting for. Hoy les anuncio que estaré renunciando al puesto del gobernador efectivo el viernes 2 de agosto del 2019. That's Puerto Rico Governor Ricardo Rosello in a video message announcing he will resign August or August 2nd. You can hear the crowd's reaction in that NBC News video. Today, where we live, we talk about what led to this uprising and what's next for the people of Puerto Rico. Do you have a connection to the island? We want to hear from you. Join the conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Now, Connecticut has a large Puerto Rican population. Coming up, we're going to hear from some residents. Some traveled back to San Juan to join the massive protests calling for change. Others protested here in our state. We'll also talk with political science professors here and on the island about the unique issues issues Puerto Rico faces and what's needed to change to make it more stable. First, for the latest on Rosello's uh, announcement, joining us by phone is Frances Robles, a New York Times reporter who covers Puerto Rico and Central America. She's been on the ground in San Juan. Frances, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I mentioned this announcement came um, at mid or near midnight, rather, um, a video message from Governor Rosselló. Uh, tell us what was the scene when that um, video message streamed to the crowds out there? Well, it was a really remarkable moment because, for one thing, the video went on for almost 14 minutes. And he went on and on saying all of his accomplishments. So there was this silence, this lull among all these hundreds of people just kind of on pins and needles, waiting to see what he was going to say. And when he finally said the words that they had been waiting for, you know, I resign my position, effective uh, August 2nd, the roar could be heard for blocks. It was absolute jubilation. So remind us about recent events uh, that led to these massive protests, as I mentioned, uh, you know, reports saying hundreds of thousands of people uh, marching in San Juan, uh, waiting for the governor's resignation. Uh, what really uh, tipped off this protest? You know, everybody knows that a few weeks ago, there was a 900-page chat, week of pages of chats, conversation between the governor and 11 of his friends and advisors, where they made rude, crass, sexist uh, comments, homophobic comments, comments against women, and, and talking, and it really sort of culture of them kind of giving out work to themselves and, and just this insider bro frat culture. And so you can ostensibly say that this protest erupted because of that. Um, but, you know, if you, everyone says, as you interview people, they all say the same thing. It was, it was the tip of the iceberg. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was the drop that overflowed the glass. Because there had been so many things. There was corruption arrests. There was the deaths after Hurricane Maria. There was a nearly year-long power outage. There was the bundling of the hurricane response. And the people in Puerto Rico, with that chat, were finally just pushed over the edge and said, no, that's mm -hmm. it. You're going to listen to us. 
And, and you know, I had someone on Twitter tell me last night, and I, and I thought it was a really interesting point. They said, no, Governor Rosario did not resign last night. We fired him. Mm. So what happens now, uh, Francis? I guess that's the big question. He will stay as governor till August 2nd? Well, that's only, that's not too long, right? That's when, oh, is that a week or two weeks? I'm not sure how much, I, I haven't checked my calendar. It's all blurring. The dates are blurring. Um, you know, he was, if you listen really, really, really carefully to what he said last night, he was kind of, he may have been parsing his words because he said that, you know, as it stands right now, as the law dictates that the, the Secretary of Justice, uh, Juan de Vasquez, will take his place. He may have been offering kind of a wink-wink there. As it stands right now, that's who's next in line. A week from now, if they manage to name and confirm a Secretary of State for Puerto Rico, then that person will take his place. Mm-hmm. Um, so he may have been kind of leaving open the window that in that week's time that he names a Secretary of State who would be the second in line. And the reason that position is currently vacant is because that person was forced out over the chats. Uh, on the phone with me again is Francis Robles, who's been covering uh, what's been going on in Puerto Rico over the last week. Uh, she's been covering the island in Central America. That's her beat. Um, you can join our conversation. Uh, she works for the New York Times. The number 860-275-7266 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. If uh, Governor Rosselló had not resigned, uh, tell us what the uh, Puerto Rican the parliament, uh, the legislature, what would they have done? They were about to start uh, impeachment proceedings. In fact, uh, late last yesterday evening, they basically said they called. They said they were calling a special session of the legislature because he had agreed to resign by 5 p.m. and he had not done so, and they took it as a violation of the deal. And so, Governor Rosselló was increasingly feeling cornered. I mean, he was on the ropes. You had. Law enforcement authorities issuing search warrants for the cell phones of everybody with the, within, who was involved in the chats. You had people in his own party calling for impeachment, and you had every single day a number, a member of his administration was resigning. So his government was literally collapsing. I mean, he had no choice but to step down. Uh, before uh, reports that, uh, or actually before that video message uh, came out uh, near midnight, uh, Francis, uh, there was uh, talk that no one even knew where uh, Ricardo Rosselló was. Is he on the island still? You know, I don't know this morning if he's still here, but I think he might be. I mean, yesterday there was a lot of rumors that he had left on a plane, that he was in Virginia, and then um, somebody, a photographer, uh, Dennis uh, Rodriguez from, from the AP, he got a picture of the wife, you know, just open the dog, the door to let the dog out. And, and everybody was stunned. Oh, look, look, he's still here. He's still here. Um, I don't know if he's here today, um, but he might be. Mm. And you met talking to do. You mentioned uh, uh, the the next person in line uh, to take over, but you also said that the Secretary of State had resigned, also caught up in this uh, controversy about these chats with some very abhorrent uh, remarks. Uh, so I'm just curious, are there other people that um, might come up that are interested in leading this island? Uh, maybe uh, the former representative to Congress? Is that a name that's uh, that's been floated? Well, this is going to be a really interesting thing of what happens next. What you're hearing from the people, if they're going to listen to the hundreds of thousands of people who took to the streets, 
It's that they're tired of the status quo. They don't want the same parties. They don't want the same old names. They don't want to recycle the people that they already believe to be corrupt. Now, that said, you know, Jennifer Gonzalez, who's the non-voting representative in Congress, she's clearly, you know, eyeing a candidacy for governor next year for 2020. I don't know if she's under consideration to be the secretary of state so that she could be interim governor governor for the next year. Um you know, I think she's a respected person. I think she would be a viable candidate. I mean, you have Carmen Yulene Cruz, who's the um, mayor of San Juan. She has made public that she plans to be a candidate for governor. Uh, so there's no doubt that it's going to be a very interesting race. Uh, you can join our conversation as we talk about what's been happening in Puerto Rico, as well as uh, what uh, may be happening in the next few days and weeks. You can join us. Uh, we know Connecticut has a large Puerto Rican population. The number again, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, we have uh, someone in studio um, who's Puerto Rican living in Connecticut. Uh, he's been on the show before, Charles Venator Santiago, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Connecticut. Uh, Charles, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What was your reaction uh, when uh, did you wake up to the news that this video message uh, came out uh, that Ricardo Rosselló is going to leave? Yeah, it, it was surprising. I, I expected this to happen a little bit later, even though the, it was revealed yesterday morning that this was imminent. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to add one question to the last comment. Part of the challenge with Wanda Vasquez, the Secretary of Justice, is that she's embroiled in a very nasty scandal herself. Uh, and was recently a part of an independent uh, prosecutor's uh, counsel investigation. And part of the challenge with the resident commissioner, she's a Trumpist. She supports Donald Trump, and Donald Trump right now is a sort of persona non grata in Puerto Rico. So even those two alternatives right now are difficult for the statehood party to manage. Mm. You have been, like many uh, people living in Connecticut with roots on the island, following uh, this. Uh, you said that you were expecting uh, the governor to resign later? It, well, because he fired the secretary mm-hmm. of state, so he created a constitutional vacuum. There was a legislative uh, vacuum because they were out of session. Mm-hmm. And the Puerto Rican Bar Association had issued an 11-point indi- uh, analysis calling for an indictment, but the president of the, lo- of, the le- of the lower house of the legislature stalled the process. And yesterday when he was revealing the report, he was still stalling and saying, well, if he resigns, we won't have an impeachment proceedings, all academic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were a lot of mech- uh, uh, political agreements happening on the ground that were suggesting that there was going to be a stalling process, in, in part because the governor holds cards uh, that could be embarrassing. Uh, right now, there's uh, an FBI investigation in ghost workers, uh, and one of the good friends of the president of the Senate is involved uh, or has been indicted. Uh, and there are questions on whether both the president of the House and the Senate are also going to be indicted or, or are going to be suspected of corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francis, when we hear about all of these uh, uh, corruption investigations, it, it's no wonder that uh, people living on the island or uh, Puerto Rican and living in the mainland have no faith in, in leadership. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that was so interesting to me about this whole crisis is that I thought that Puerto Ricans were pretty accustomed to corruption, you know, and it turns out that there is a point. They ha- they do have a, bo- a breaking point. Uh, Governor Rosselló's father had a uh, very stained legacy because many members of his administration were caught up in federal investigations and indictments and uh, prison sentences. 
And so what the people want is they want that to be over. It's like enough, enough, enough. We want the money to go to the schools, to go to roads, to go where it's supposed to go. Frances Robles, again, is a New York Times reporter who's uh, talking with us from San Juan. She's been covering what's been going on in Puerto Rico for some time. Frances, we thank you for your perspective today on where we live. Thanks so much for having me. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Before we head into break, Charles, uh, again, uh, we are going to be talking more about what led to Ricardo Rosselló's resignation, more than just these chats, uh, uh, a feeling of frustration and anger with uh, what's been going on in Puerto Rico, um, even before uh, Hurricane Maria. But when you heard uh, and read the comments that the governor and others uh, in his circle were saying about uh, the people of Puerto Rico, making light of, of people who have died from the hurricane. I'm just curious what went through your mind. Uh, you know, it, it was an affirmation of the earlier comments that he made to President Trump, that only 16 people had died when we knew that a lot more people were dying. Um, and it's also, when I read the chats or Telegram chats, I just saw a group of frat boys talking mm-hmm. together uh, that don't think much about anything else. They're just out to make money, and they don't really have a sense of responsibility towards the people. Mm. Uh, you can join our conversation as uh, we continue to talk about this. Again, the number 860-275-7266. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You're listening to Where We Live. Uh, coming up, we're going to get perspective from Puerto Ricans living on the island, and we want to hear from you, too. Join us also on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You have connections to Puerto Rico? What's your reaction to the news? Puerto Rico Governor Ricardo Rosselló will resign. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Carlos is calling from New Haven. Carlos, go ahead. Uh, hi. Um, I just came from uh, Puerto Rico participating in the marches uh, about a couple of hours ago, as a matter of fact, I just arrived in uh, in Hartford. Uh, I live in New Haven, and I uh, just wanted to comment that uh, this is historic for Puerto Rico, uh, and I think actually for Latin America because of the massiveness. The uh, local newspapers were estimating that just on Monday alone in San Juan there were 2,150,000 people all in one place, and it's unusual because the culture does not is is not a culture that is in your face. Yet, uh, Puerto Rican culture, even though people are friendly and uh, helpful and you know very honest about that, um, at some point, once you get disrespected, that's it. And I think this is what uh, what happened here. Another part of the culture that I think was uh, demonstrated here is that with over two million people out there, not one single incidence of violence. Uh, People were just friendly, uh, helping each other out, uh, having conversations, uh, going back to old-fashioned conversations as opposed to chatting and, you know, on the Internet, that sort of thing. So I think it's, um, it's a unique example that all other countries, including the United States, can learn from. 
Well, thank you, Carlos, uh, for calling in to where we live. You can, too, at 860-275-7266. Carlos mentioned uh, 2 million. I think we've, we've seen reports of hundreds of thousands of protesters uh, going uh, to Puerto Rico uh, to demand change. Uh, my next caller, Bianca, is actually someone who lives in Connecticut, uh, but also went to uh, San Juan to participate um, in these massive demonstrations. Bianca, welcome to the show. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. So tell us, Bianca, uh, you know, what led you to get on a plane uh, to go to San Juan? Well, um, I left Puerto Rico seven years ago. I'm one of those millennials that had to leave because I wanted to go to grad school. There was no opportunities here. Um, and I left with the dream of always returning. And But that's not a reality for a lot of us. Um, so I'm, I'm a sociologist by training. And my research looked at Puerto Ricans and Connecticut, and I thought it was important for me personally to be here fighting with my people for for the country and for the dreams of my family to eventually return, hopefully, um, and also professionally as, as a ethnographer to see what's happening on the ground and experiencing it firsthand. So I got on a plane. I got here yesterday at 3 in the morning, and I just went straight to Old San Juan and was there until 2 in the morning yesterday, this morning, I guess. Uh, so uh, many Puerto, Rican, Puerto Ricans hearing that uh, Rosselló uh, will resign, but what, what do you want to see happen next, Bianca, beyond uh, just replacing uh, the governor? Well, I think this is some, particularly millennials here, the younger people want to see um, the fiscal control board to get eradicated. That's a very important part of all of this. It's a blatant form of colonialism that we haven't seen in a few years rearing its face again. And I think people also want to keep holding accountable other members of Rosario's cabinet um, because Juan Vasquez, the possible next governor, has also been... Um, it's, there's some rumors that there's some corruption around her and there was a an article that came out this morning, and everyone's reading that here right now, worried that the next governor is also corrupt and involved in all these schemes. So I would like to see this movement continue, because it's not just about Rosario resigning, it's about creating a new way of government for Puerto Rico and a new way to hold accountable um, politicians here. Well, Bianca, thank you uh, for calling in to where we live. The number 860-275-7266. Charles Venator Santiago in studio with me, Associate Professor of Political Science at UConn. We heard Bianca mention this uh, fiscal control board, something that Congress uh, approved, is it a couple years now, uh, because of the debt crisis uh, that uh, Puerto Rico was facing. Uh, So tell us about some of the frustrations with this particular board. Yes, so the fiscal control, the fiscal... Control, it's not control, it's an oversight and management board created by PROMESA, uh, 2016 legislation that came in the heels of a Supreme Court ruling authorizing Congress to treat Puerto Rico like a a creature of Congress, uh, basically began to put some controls on Governor Rosselló's spending and budget plans, but also imposed an austerity measure uh, that essentially cut uh, funding for public agencies uh, and increase pay- payments to Wall Street. Now, two points that I want to emphasize quickly. Part of the problem is that Governor Rosselló and the Fiscal Control uh, Oversight Board agree that the way to go to govern Puerto Rico is by privatizing the island. So you can replace the governor, but until there's a fundamental change in how 
government agencies are run, we're still talking about sending contracts to private corporations to manage the island. And this was exacerbated by Governor Fortunio, who fired upwards of 30,000 people from government positions and then went to the private sector to fill those jobs, paying mm-hmm. twice as much in an effort to respond to the crisis. Uh, and one of the things that triggered in the, uh, this case is that we found out in the indictment to the former Secretary of Education that uh, companies like BDO were charging 10% for managing funds, uh, while at the same time, the Fiscal Oversight Board was taking away 10% from the pension plans from the average worker. So here you have this whole scheme between the private sector to profit from the austerity approach at the expense of pensioners or public workers who are losing 10% of their pensions. Uh, Javier uh, Colom Morera um, is actually joining us via Skype. He is professor of political science at University of Puerto Rico, uh, joining us from San Juan. Uh, Javier, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure. I should mention that you know Charles, who's with me uh, in studio. We heard from a young woman who hopes to one day go back to Puerto Rico, but she doesn't see that uh, in the near future. She wants to see um, some real dramatic changes uh, to the island, to the way it's being governed. Uh, I'm I'm just curious if you could talk about uh, what you hear and what you see um, each and every day in Puerto Rico. Well, the positive news, I think, about all all this episode is that... uh, human dignity uh, has been really an important issue here. What we what we hear in the chat, what we read in the chat, was uh, a governor and his main uh, advisors uh, calling women prostitutes, calling uh, overweight persons, making mock of them, making mock of dead people, making. Uh, Talking about about poor people that they will never get statehood. There there were too many poor people in the island. So the principle of human dignity, which is a universal principle of human rights, uh, created a situation when most Puerto Ricans look at each other and say, "These guys don't represent us. These these are not. This could not be our leadership. Uh, we are ashamed of having those persons." as our leaders. And the governor at the same time had offered <laughs> President Trump uh, 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 to, to punch him because he was a bully. So, so he created so many enemies in so many levels of the US government, in the Puerto Rican government, and in the society that he was no longer viable. So in that sense, I see an opportunity here to create uh, new ways of practicing politics in Puerto Rico in a more democratic way. And I I can see two ways in doing that. One is uh, going back to the drawing board to see how can we have a more dignified relationship with the United States that is not based on the notion that Puerto Rico is a property Mm -hmm. of the United States where the United States can do basically what, what whatever it wants to do. That, that notion that's a 19th century uh, old uh, line of cases that have to be revised politically by, by the U.S. Congress and the U.S. government. And the other line would be to democratize internal processes in Puerto Rico to make the, the hiring of companies and to all, all everything that has to do with procurement 
of services in the Puerto Rican government make it more transparent and less uh, driven by by corporations and by greed by politicians. Uh, Javier, I mentioned you uh, work at the University of Puerto Rico. Uh, we hear uh, so often, especially in here in Connecticut, uh, so many people leaving the island, uh, young people who uh, don't see opportunity. So who will be driving this change in Puerto Rico so it's not just the same old uh, people uh, continuing the failed policies uh, that have brought uh, the island to this situation? Well, that's interesting that, that new voices are coming to the public forum. Some of them are, are uh, uh, young persons that are want to stay in Puerto Rico, that they, they resist the fact that their only option is leaving the island. Uh, some of them have, are new actors uh, that are playing a big political role, like people that you wouldn't think that were important to make a, a public... Um, uh, leadership position like like Bad Bunny, like Calle 13, like Ricky Martin, uh, artists that were very, very offended by the way that the governor treated uh, the population in the island. So they, they make, now, now, it's, now there's a lot of work to do, you know, the, the, uh, there's, this is only a, a, a one, one important victory. It is a victory and people sh- should very feel very joyful of the fact that they were able through mobilization to force the the governor to resign but i think that their politicians now will have to be more much more careful about transparency about uh giving uh, the citizenship more direct ways of supervising who is being contracted by government, uh, why, why are those corporations are the ones who are benefiting from the whole fiscal situation that we have right now? So I think that, you know, my hope is that this uh, young new leadership will emerge with force. This is where we live today. We're talking about Puerto Rico uh, with news that its governor, uh, Ricardo Rosselló, uh, will resign August 2nd. Uh, this comes after massive demonstrations asking for him uh, to step down. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Uh, Javier Colón Morera is joining us from San Juan via Skype, professor of political science at University of Puerto Rico. In studio with me, Charles Venator Santiago, who's associate professor of political science at UConn. Uh, Charles, are you? Uh, what's your take on... Uh, these new voices, uh, these uh, young people that are calling for change, uh, do you think that they will uh, stay with this uh, movement uh, for change? Or is this, a, a, is this something that will die down now? Well, I, I celebrate in the same way that Professor Moreira, uh, Colón Moreira, has celebrated. This is a victory that we haven't seen. This is a protest that has a social dimension that we haven't seen since the 90s. Uh, when uh, the people were protesting the efforts by this current governor's father to privatize a public telephone company. And my concern is that when I see Bad Bunny, Calle 13, uh, Residente, I only see people amplifying the anger, the emotions of people, and I don't see a political platform. <laughs> I don't see an effort to challenge privatization, to challenge uh, the corrupt way in which uh, government is run. Um, so I want to see that. And I, here I will agree with Professor Morehead that, that this is the time to see what projects emerge. I didn't see those during the pro- protest. But then again, this is democracy. And democracy sometimes is messy and sometimes is anarchic and episodic. 
Uh, so I'm hoping this will be a, a stepping stone for people to get involved in politics and claim control over the government. They should seize control over the welfare of people. And that's my hope. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Agnes is calling in from Hartford. Agnes, welcome to the show. Hi. I understand that you uh, are Puerto Rican, moved here after Hurricane Maria. You've been involved in local protests. Uh, so what is your reaction to the news that the governor will step down? And I'm, and I'm curious about your response of, of how to move forward. Um, I'm really excited. Um, I went to bed really late uh, yesterday watching the news, and then we heard that message. There was just um, a bunch of he was um, talking about all the victories that he had. I think he lives like in another um, country, but um, yeah, I did came after the hurricane, and we've been organizing some posters. And I know like this is just the first step because like. Um, the governor resigning doesn't mean that corruption ends or that the junta is gone or the Puerto Rico is not a colony anymore or that the debt is audited, but it's a first step. And I think um, this protest that have been happening for the last um, few weeks have showed um, the people the power that they have. And I think that's going to be critical uh, in the future because we've seen um, how in Puerto Rico, most of the time you see um, the people who protest are people from academic backgrounds or people who are from the university. And in this protest, we could see more people joining, people that, that run in the ATVs or people that run in, they do the cavalgatas and the horses. So we saw um, regular people joining. And I think um, for them to know the kind of power they have, it's going to be... Uh, good in the future so i'm hopeful at least i know it's gonna i think it's gonna be less um people are not gonna continue to protest even though uh the person who is next it's she has allegations of corruption too and we we do have a lot more corruption in the government we have a lot of privatization we still have la junta they want to take the um the pensions away um but i think it's a good first step and i'm hopeful hopefully to see what happens next. Agnes, uh, do you want to go back to Puerto Rico uh, to live permanently someday? Yes. <laughs> I'm always thinking about that. And I don't want to romanticize on the U.S. because we come here and we do um, face a lot of um, discrimination and racism and it's not um, the dreamland that some people in the island think the U.S. is. We still get exploited here. We sometimes... Like, I, I have a, um, a master's degree, so it's easier for me, but it's not like that for everyone who comes here. So, yeah, but I do want to come go back. Well, Agnes, thank you for calling into where we live. Uh, the number 860-275-7266. Uh, Melina's calling from West Hartford. Melina, go ahead. Oh, yes. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. Um, good And good morning, um, Charles. <laughs> what the <laughs> My question is, given the historic relationship of Puerto Rico to the United States, what um, possibility is there, you know, uh, to alter that relationship and to move forward um, 
you know, post Rosselló. So, uh, you know, your comment about listening to a conversation among frat boys, um, you know, to what degree is the new leadership kind of going to be a repeat of what has just, uh, what's exiting now? Uh, good good questions, uh, Melina. Uh, Charles Venator Santiago, uh, do you want to respond? <laughs> and I'll defer also to Javier. Uh, I, I, the, Juan de Vazquez is embroiled in a corruption situation and an ethics violation. We don't know if somebody's going to be named as Secretary of State be in between that period. Mm -hmm. and so I, I don't want to speculate too much. Um, in terms of the status, as I've said, and this is an argument that I have with my colleague in, in Puerto Rico, uh, I don't see statehood as a possibility, and Congress has said it, and the president has said it, for a simple reason. Uh, statehood would mean granting uh, the Democratic Party seven seats, and that's not going to happen in the Senate or in the House. And uh, it would make illegal the oversight board, which would control upwards of $150 billion. And I, I don't see public pensions and uh, hedge funds groups allowing that to happen, or Congress. Um, now, there is a conversation going on, and we're, we'll talk more about that later, about the constitutional dimensions of what's going on now. Under current constitutional law, Congress can discriminate against Puerto Rico and treat it less than a state. It can treat Puerto Rico like a state, or it could be, treat it better than a state. So uh, an earlier conversation that we had in our last show about mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, uh, Senator Murphy, for example, uh, was introducing the idea of parity funding. So one conversation that we could have is about direct parity funding for people living in poverty in Puerto Rico or social programs. And currently, 60% of the population in Puerto Rico is living as a vulnerable population. They're the disabled, they're living in poverty, or they're under 18. So that would be a direct way to help people deal, deal with poverty right now. Uh, and Congress has the power to do so without changing the political status of Puerto Rico, without granting Puerto Rico statehood or modifying the enhanced commonwealth. So that, you know, that's, some, that's a conversation that might be explored as a tangible reality. Mm. Uh, Javier Colón-Morera, uh, what is your take? Uh, do you, would you want to see statehood? Do you agree with what Charles Venator Santiago is saying, that that is not a, going to happen anytime soon? Well, that, that's an interesting uh, question. I, when I discuss this with my students in Puerto Rico, I tell them that the most uh, important fact about political status of Puerto Rico is that Congress has never asked Puerto Ricans what is the political status that they want. Uh, the only electoral consultation that took place in Puerto Rico was in 1950s. It was about having uh, uh, an internal constitution. If so if you voted yes, you would have a new constitution under the same congressional powers. If you voted no, you remain without a constitution. That's the only uh, moment in, in U.S.-Puerto Rico relationships where Congress has asked Puerto Ricans what is that they want. So, and the issue is that Congress has never made such a federally sponsored plebiscite in the island because it, it is not sure if it wants to offer state. So the whole discussion about statehood could be a discussion about nothing because Congress has never said that it's willing to grant statehood to Puerto Rico. So in that sense, I like more the approach of having a constitutional assembly uh, convene in Puerto Rico, uh, and that Constitutional Assembly, and the, and the issue here will be to make it really democratic and to have those new voices inside that 
that that constitutional convention can try to do two things uh, create a more uh, favorable conditions for for citizen participation for a, for a participatory democracy in Puerto Rico and try to see what changes can be negotiated with the United States to, uh, to the current territorial situation. I think we have to move in, in both fronts at the same time. Uh, and I know that that sounds very difficult, and it is. But that, that is what, what I think uh, Puerto Rico should be trying to do if it is serious about improving conditions in the island. To have more federal funds is a good situation. At the same time, it creates uh, a sense of dependency in Puerto Rico that 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 we cannot do things for ourselves. So, so how to create uh, a situation where the Puerto Rican economy uh, uh, can grow by itself is another is another important factor in the equation. Mm. Uh, Javier, you mentioned, uh, you know, federal funding is just uh, one part of the equation. Certainly, President Trump has been uh, very critical of uh, the island's leadership. Uh, uh, funding from uh, the mainland, uh, the federal government uh, came so slowly to help uh, uh, Puerto Ricans after uh, Hurricane Maria. Uh, I'm just curious with that uh, that tenuous uh, relationship uh, and the perspective that the president has, you know, uh, I'm just, are you confident that uh, moving forward, uh, that Congress uh, is going to see uh, Puerto Rico in a different light uh, when we have uh, the president um, talking about corruption and we're seeing now uh, many leaders in Puerto Rico um, dealing with corruption investigations? Yeah. Well, I think I think many people don't understand that the nativist, nativist discourse that the president of the United States has in the United States against minorities, against uh, Muslim people, against Mexicans, it also translates into some kind of hostility towards Puerto Rico. Uh, but here, the president has to be very careful because there are very important states of the United States where Puerto Ricans can vote. So in a way, there is a political leverage that Puerto Ricans have that other pure poor communities in, in the United States don't have which is to go out and vote. Uh, I think the, the next electoral cycle in, in the United States is going to be very important for Puerto Rico. I have, you know, great reservations about the Democratic Party, but they are more willing to, to start a conversation with Puerto Rico on more equal terms uh, and not, not the type of... of, of, of you know, I, I hate to say that way, the racist discourse that many times comes from the White House mm. at the present time. Uh, Charles Benator, Santiago, I'm just curious. Uh, we, we know what President Trump has said um, in his views. Uh, there's a presidential election uh, coming soon. Uh, any of those candidates uh, paying attention to Puerto Rico? Well, actually, yes, uh, they are. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have offered plans or have embraced the idea of a Marshall Plan for Puerto Rico to address the question of the economy. Um, and in fact, Bernie Sanders has uh, Carmen Yulín as one of his national cultures. Um, I'm not as optimistic <laughs> as my colleague here uh, in terms of the economy because the Fiscal Oversight Board has imposed an austerity approach, and this is Congress imposing on Puerto Rico, that essentially says the economy is not going to grow for another 10 years, according to them. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little concerned about how that translates 
into building an economy. In terms of electoral participation, my concern is that we saw in the 2018 that Puerto Ricans didn't show. I mean, there are only about 6 million Puerto Ricans in the whole nation, but they didn't show up in the numbers that we wanted them to show up, particularly in Florida. Uh, but things change. So hopefully they can be more influential in places like New York and Florida and, and Connecticut. Well, I want to thank uh, Javier Colom Moreira from, for joining us via Skype. He's a political scientist at University of Puerto Rico. Javier, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, this is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Charles Venator Santiago is an associate professor of political science at UConn. Uh, you just heard from him. He's going to stick around as we talk more about um, the relationship between uh, the mainland and Puerto Rico and the policy decisions uh, for many years and decades uh, that have led the island to the point that it's at now. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. So what steps must be in place to move Puerto Rico in a positive direction? You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We're focusing on this because Connecticut has uh, the largest Puerto Rican population proportionately of any state at 8%. And certainly, as we've discussed, there have been calls to make Puerto Rico a U.S. state, but that rests solely on Congress to change. And that change is unlikely with another presidential election so soon. And the likelihood one party, the Democratic Party, would gain a significant number of voters from the island. In studio with me is Charles Venator Santiago, Associate Professor of Political Science at UConn. Uh, let's talk more about um, how uh, Americans view uh, Puerto Rico, Charles, and including uh, Congress. So, so, so let me have two points to respond to that. The first thing that I want to emphasize is that historically, the United States has had a contradictory position. The Supreme Court treats Puerto Rico as a foreign country in a domestic or constitutional sense, and they're the final interpreters of the Constitution. And Congress cherry picks when it wants to treat it as a part of the United States, like a state, or as a territory. So you have this contradictory position that's been in place for 120 years, since 1901 or that period. Uh, Simultaneously, what we also know from polls, national polls around the question of citizenship, is that the majority of Americans don't know that Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. It's improved with the hurricane and with the media attention, but for the most part, the average uh, U.S. citizen doesn't understand, A, the status of Puerto Rico, and B, the status of Puerto Ricans in the island. So when we uh, think about... um Going back to our original peg to this show, looking at what's going to happen now that the governor is uh, resigning, Ricardo Rosselló, um, he was an advocate for statehood. Um, moving forward, you know, what would you like to hear from our congressional delegation about the relationship uh, between the mainland and the island? Uh, well, so I want to emphasize <clears throat> two points. One is to affirm the point that my colleague uh, Javier Colomorera raised earlier, which there is a need for a constitutional convention that has the respect of Congress and the support of Congress. And I have actually studied the history of this, that legislation for the past 120 years, and Congress historically would support a constitutional convention more than anything else. Uh, the second, I, th- I think Congress needs to, particularly Democrats, need to get over their, uh, let me not use a swear word in public, <laughs> uh, their politics. So whenever there's a crisis, the uh, Democrats tend to say, well, we've got to solve the status question. Well, not necessarily. And, and I do agree that we have to solve the status question, but Congress has the political power. They don't have the will to treat Puerto Ricans like equal citizens or to treat Puerto Rico like a part of the United States. They can do this constitutionally. So I would like to see Democratic leaders 
not hide behind the status question, but address the, the material fiscal reality of Puerto Ricans. Not by imposing an austerity approach that is bankrupting and destroying the local economy, but actually taking responsibility for helping Puerto Rico. Uh, if we go all the way back to the Spanish-American War, uh, there was a lot promised uh, to uh, Puerto Ricans from the U.S. government. And so there's a legacy of there not being trust. Uh, and so when we think about uh, not allowing uh, privatization to take over uh, the island uh, to the detriment of the 60 percent that are living in poverty, uh, what are some um, steps moving forward that could help the economy, if not this fiscal board? So, so, so the first thing I, I want to remind people this privatization, trickle-down economics failed in Oklahoma, failed in Kansas, failed in Argentina, and failed in, in Greece, all at the behest of, of the United States lawmakers. Uh, so we have to, A, be cognizant that privatization has a terrible track record, and we're seeing it in Puerto Rico, and we're seeing it anticipated. Second, there has to be some sort of transparency. I prefer the Works Project Administration model where the federal government works with the local government and has transparent rebuilding of the island. But there has to be a commitment to do that. Uh, third, Congress and the president need to stop pushing corrupt groups like Whitefish or Cobra mm-hmm. to rebuild the island, and they need to assume responsibility for enabling the transparency and decent contractors to help rebuild the island. And fourth, there has to be a commitment to actually rebuild the economy. Congress's uh, use of PROMESA and austerity measures is destroying the economy by their own admission. They're just privatizing everything and, and channeling funds to Wall Street instead of channeling funds to Puerto Ricans. When we look at the workforce, for the people that have remained on the island, you know, what are the jobs that are out there for them? Uh, so there's an informal sector. There's a little bit of tourism going on. There are government agencies where people, and contracts that come out of privatization and relationships with government agencies. Uh, and there's poverty. I mean, we're talking about 40% of the population living in poverty. Uh, we're talking about 10% of the population who are disabled also living in poverty and about 10% who are under 18 who are living in poverty. So there's not much work in Puerto Rico for the whole island. A lot of Puerto Ricans have migrated to the United States and they continue to migrate. It's estimated that the population will go from 3.1 million to 2.6 million and lose more than you know 10%, 20% of the population, which would be devastating. Uh, so for a lot of Puerto Ricans right now, as we're seeing in Connecticut and Massachusetts and elsewhere, Migration to the mainland is the only source of, of work, employment. And there's nothing that wa- is making them want to go back. Well, you know, I, so I'm, I'm working on multiple studies, mm-hmm. interviewing people who came after Maria and as a result of the fiscal crisis. And the, yesterday we sat in a focus group in Holyoke, Massachusetts, or two rather. And what With I another think, huge uh, Puerto Rican population. Yes, yes. Uh, half the city of Holyoke is Puerto Rican. And people are coming from Puerto Rico there because they have a lot of family mm-hmm. ties. But the one theme that keeps in, in this particular study and in the Hartford study is that they don't have anywhere to go to. I mean, we're there, there are upwards of 30,000 houses that still have blue tarps years after. There's no electricity in some areas or, or erratic electricity, erratic water. The infrastructure is not, uh, does not invite people to return to the island. And on top of that, the government and the austerity have been sort of dismantling public institutions like the University of Puerto Rico with huge budget cuts, upwards of 50%. Uh, so until there's some sort of change, uh, there's not much to go to unless you have the necessary resources. Mm. Maybe you have Bitcoin or you have enough money to purchase uh, somebody's home in the island. Mm. Uh, we've been uh, hearing again um, from lots of people who are 
you know, happy to hear that Governor Ricardo Rosselló uh, will resign. This is all happening. Uh, this these massive demonstrations, uh, this call for change happening during hurricane season. Um, anything could derail uh, this sense of momentum moving forward. I, I don't think so because this is a part of a collective response. Uh, the past couple of weeks, there have been a, a couple of indictments by the federal FBI in Puerto Rico including the secretary, the former secretary of education for personal profits, the former secretary of the uh, private health insurance plan or the health insurance plans in Puerto Rico. Um, we are also seeing a number of other incidents in, 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 uh, of FBI intervening in corruption. So I think people are, as our, my colleague said earlier, they're fed up, you know. And on top of that, the austerity board is essentially dismantling the ability of people, retired pensioners, stu- university students, and other people to essentially live in Puerto Rico. Uh, so when we see this sort of contradiction, uh, it, it seems to me that this is just a spark that's going to continue to fuel uh, people's uh, desire to change. You mentioned a spark. We've seen uh, so many times uh, around the globe uh, when uh, people are fed up, when they're looking for change and the change doesn't come as they expect. Are you worried about uh, violence or something that, that happens uh, to the population that, that makes them frustrated? I I don't see the elements for a civil war. Uh, Part of the local politics is really partisan. I don't see that there's enough anger, social anger. There are sectors that are angry with the Fiscal Oversight Board in Congress. Uh, But again, 90% and 95% of the population generally gravitates towards statehood or commonwealth. Uh, So unless there's a push for independence, I don't see that violence. Well, we thank Charles Venator Santiago for coming in uh, to explain some of the context uh, surrounding what we've been seeing in the news. Again, a monumental change on the island of Puerto Rico. Uh, the governor agreeing to step down after calls for his resignation. Uh, still a lot uh, that remains to be seen of who will replace him and what change uh, actually does happen uh, there uh, within the local government. But Charles, we thank you so much for coming on the show today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Uh, thanks to Jesse Steinmetz on the phones today. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. You can po- download our podcast anytime. Just look for Where We Live on your favorite podcast app. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>